Welcome to the Perfume Making Podcast with me, Karen Gilbert. In this week's episode, I'm talking all about fragrance families. This is something that you need to understand as a perfume maker and is slightly different from categorizing materials. It can be really confusing with all the different variations you see online. So hopefully that's something that I can demystify for you today. Now, understanding fragrance families is not only important for the perfume makers amongst you, but it's also for those of you who want to better appreciate perfume and also be able to choose the perfect scent for yourself or as a gift for someone else. Classifying fragrances into families makes it easier to understand the composition and also helps the fragrance buyer know what they like. Now, it's quite likely that if you're fond of a particular fragrance, you're also going to like others in that same category too. Fragrances fit within particular families due to their unique combinations of ingredients. Now, it might be fairly straightforward to work out if a fragrance is a citrus or a single floral, such as a rose or a jasmine, but some are a little bit more tricky without some technical knowledge. So whether you're creating your own fragrances or just learning more about them to enrich your buying experience, it really is worth smelling through some of the perfumes that I mention here, as well as learning about them. Now, you'll find that this deepens your understanding and it's going to help you to recognize different scents more easily. So by the end of this episode, you should be able to distinguish your fruity florals from your ambers and your fougeres from your chipras. Now, there are many different methods of classification that have been used over the years, and the industry standard at one time was based on a genealogy chart, which was published by a fragrance company called Harmon and Rhymer. Now, unfortunately, those books and their charts are no longer published, but you can sometimes find the chart online if you do a Google search for the Harmon and Rhymer um, fragrance genealogy. But it is really out of date now. I think it probably stopped in around the mid 90s. Now, a well-known fragrance expert who also devised a system for classifying fragrance families is a guy called Michael Edwards. And he produces a new book every year of all of the new launches that come out. So you can imagine over the last however many years, last 10 years, that book has got bigger and heftier. And he does that each year and that's he classifies his for the fra- all of the fragrances on the market based on his own fragrance wheel. Now, the chart for that can be found at his website, which is called fragrancesoftheworld.com. And I will link that in the show notes. So that is one way of classifying fragrances that is commonly used now in the industry. And the Perfume Society also have their own fragrance classification system, which again is slightly different. And again, I'll link that in the show notes. And what you're going to notice with a little bit of research is that, in fact, no one organization uses exactly the same system and they usually put their own take on it. And this can make it a bit confusing for beginners. Now, my overall preference was for the Harmon and Rhymer chart because that's what I learned with. Um, but also I really like the Michael Edwards chart and I like the Perfume Society um, chart as well. So some those ones, though, are a little bit more complex. So have a look at them all and do feel free to create your own interpretations as well by actually smelling the fragrances yourself and decide if, in fact, they do fit into those categories that are suggested and why. This is a really good learning tool for you and a, a really a good way of learning to trust your own nose and understand the composition of the different fragrances that fit into those families and why they do. 
Now, often classic fragrances have been reformulated over the years. And what tends to happen is that they might stray into a slightly different category or subcategory to the original. So just keep in mind that the classifications could change over time. Don't take them as complete gospel. Take them with a little bit of a pinch of salt and really dig into it and and trust your own nose above all. So in an attempt to demystify fragrance families, I would suggest that you start with the simple overarching classifications that I'm going to talk about here. Now, again, these categories should be used as a guide. I use them when I'm running my in-person classes. I talk about them in my book and I talk about them in all of my courses as well. And I have found that if you are a complete beginner, simplifying like this really just helps you bed in your understanding. And then you can go to the other um, classifications further down the line. And just as a caveat here, I'm not saying that the other classifications are wrong. They are absolutely not. I just prefer to teach with a very simplified version just because it's easier for beginners to get a grip Uh, on and then, you know, explore them and you'll always find, you'll find one that works for you, that resonates for you and and use that instead. Now, these categories that I'm going to talk about can be used as a guide for both male and female fragrances. So another little caveat here, male fragrances, this is where we're talking about commercial marketing of fragrances here. And again, taken with a grain of salt, male fragrances or, or fragrances that are marketed to more a more masculine audience, shall we say, tend to be fresher. They tend to be more aromatic and less sweet, although that has changed over the last 10 years. I definitely have seen a lot sweeter fragrances coming into more masculine marketed scents, whereas traditionally more feminine fragrances or female fragrances or fragrances that are marketed to a more feminine audience or idea or story tend to be softer, sweeter, often more fruity. Again, please take that with a pinch of salt as it's a relatively recent thing to have gender specific fragrances. And we're talking about, you know, in the last hundred years or so, and it has primarily been used for marketing purposes, really probably since the 50s, 60s and 70s, really with the purpose of marketing more fragrances to men. Because if you think about it back in the day, you know, we're a lot more you know, open to different ways of expressing ourselves now. Whereas if you think back to the 50s, maybe the 60s and the 70s, gender was very much still in the public domain as something that you needed to stick to. It was very traditional. Um, Gender roles were very traditional. And when you think about fragrance and classifications, and you also think about trends in perfume as well, this is probably another episode You've also got to keep in mind that trends in anything, in fragrance, in beauty, in fashion, they all really tie into what is going on in the world, political belief systems, you know, how people think about themselves, how people identify. And if you think back to like things like the 1950s, the 60s and the 70s, fragrances developed and changed during that time due to what was going on in the world and how, you know, our roles in society were changing. And so just keep that in mind in history. And that is where a lot of the classifications and the genealogy comes from. And it is changing and it has changed over the years. So the reason that that happened is that 
women tended to be more open to wearing any scent. And we're talking back in the sort of 60s and 70s, even the 80s. Women tended to be more open to wearing any kind of scent, whereas men at that time were much more conscious of not smelling masculine. And it was a bit, oh, you know, I don't want to smell girly. I don't want to smell like a woman and all of the interpretations of that that you could put on it. But women were more open to wearing fresh scents, woody scents, or wearing their their husbands or their boyfriends or their partners' perfume. And obviously, this is a really outdated um, belief, but um, that was really the reality of how it was at the time. And so that's where that all the genderization of scent comes from. And actually, if you look at bef- before that, fragrance was just fragrance. If you go back to sort of you know, pre-Victorian times, Victorian times, it was more, you know, anybody was wearing anything and and it wasn't really a gender-based thing. You know, one of the things that I talk about is, you know, how ridiculous is it that you say, oh, one scent is particularly for women and one scent is for men. It's a bit like saying, oh, this food is for men and this food is for women, or this drink is for men and this drink is for women. In my head, it's never made sense. Um, however, the industry still hasn't quite caught up, but um, you what you will notice is that the majority of indie brands, the majority of niche fragrance brands, even if they don't say they're gender neutral or genderless, even if that is not a marketing tagline, you will notice that they are all in very similar bottles. They don't talk about, oh, this is a men's perfume, this is a women's perfume. And so there is absolutely no reason why also even commercial fragrances could not be worn by any gender. So if you are a masculine person or you want to give off a more kind of like edgy masculine vibe, there is no reason why you can't wear a traditionally masculine fragrance. Or there is also no reason why you can't wear a big white floral if you want to. Just think about it as a smell and and sort of step out if you can. And, you know, I'm going to be sort of preaching to the, the converted here a little bit. I understand that. But if you are a person listening to this podcast and you have really only ever bought commercial fragrances and you've looked at all of the ads, you know, like the Dior ads and the Chanel ads, and they're very, very gender based, like try and sort of step back from that, put that to one side and just smell the fragrance Because actually, in a lot of ways, if you took a lot of perfumes, a lot of scents out of their packaging, you stripped away all of the marketing spiel, actually, you wouldn't even be able to tell whether it's something that has been marketed to a man or a woman. And I always talk about the old school fragrances that were traditionally marketed to kind of macho men back in the 70s, like Old Spice and Brute. If you take away that packaging and if you just smell the fragrance, they actually are quite soft, powdery, floral. And so really, it's just marketing. It's just packaging. It's just the way they're presented that makes them seem like they are for a specific gender. So throw all of that out of the window. And when we talk about how we classify fragrances into families, really, you know, anybody can wear anything. Personally, I love woody fragrances. I love leathery fragrances. I'm not a huge fan of florals on my own skin. So the message here really is wear what you want and what you love. And if you are creating fragrances and developing fragrances, you know, go down the indie, the niche line that, you know, any fragrance can be for anyone.
So when it comes to classifying fragrances, they're grouped into specific families based on their dominant scent characteristics. Now, each fragrance family has a distinctive scent profile that sets it apart from the others, although there is going to be some crossover, especially in modern perfumes. So by understanding these families and their significance, it's going to help you to navigate the world of perfumes with a bit more ease and make more informed choices as a buyer. And if you are a creator, this is going to help your customers make more informed choices too. One of the primary reasons why fragrance families are important is their role in helping us to identify our preferred scent. So by knowing which fragrance family appeals to us the most, we can narrow down our options and choose perfumes that resonate with our personal tastes. So do keep this in mind as a fragrance creator. It is all about helping your customers to choose. The easier you make it for people, the more sales you're going to get. And as you look through some of the fragrance charts online, you're going to notice, as I said before, that they are all different. So let's explore those differences now for a moment before we dig into what I would recommend. Okay, so the Perfume Society, for example, uses the overarching categories of fresh, floral, ombre, fougere, woody, chypre and gourmand. Now, I'm going to dig into those and explain what those are in a moment under my own categories. But if you dig deeper into each category, the fresh family has subcategories of citrus, aromatic, green, fruity, aquatic. The floral has subcategories of soliflor, which is a single floral note, bouquet, green, aldehydic, fruity, white, fresh, musk. Ombre is amber, spicy, woody, fresh. The floriental fragrance category, which I'll talk about in a moment, and the fougere category, they they have as just single categories. The woody is broken down into spicy, aromatic, floral, fruity, fresh. The chypre into woody, fruity, floral, leather, green, fresh, and the gourmand stands on its own. So you can see it gets quite complex. Now, Fragrances of the World uses a slightly different variation in that they only have four overarching categories, fresh, floral, ambery, and woody. And if you look at their wheel, it each one feeds into each of these overarching categories feeds into the next by linking it with a subcategory. So for example, and it's a little bit hard to explain this on a podcast, but if you pull up the chart while you're listening to this, on fragrances of the world and you have a look at the website on the perfume society this will make sense so the fresh in fragrances of the world fresh the subcategories are aromatic so it would be fresh aromatic fresh citrus fresh water fresh green fresh fruity and then that feeds into floral so you've got floral floral and then soft floral and then it feeds into ambery with floral amber then soft amber amber woody and then that goes into the woody category which then goes into mossy woods and dry woods so it's a slightly different system and you can see that if you are just starting out this is going to be a bit overwhelming so i would suggest that what you do is you simplify when you're learning about fragrance anyway you simplify it into the five main categories that i'm going to mention here citrus floral Fougère, chypre, 
and amber as your main categories. Now, the fresh notes that were mentioned before tend to fit into either the citrusy family or the fougere family for the most part. And the more aromatics, the leathers and the woods tend to fit into either the chypre category or the amber category with the just odd standalone as well. And the gourmand category is usually an extension of amber anyway. So fragrances hardly ever fit into one perfect system. So keep it simple. And as I said before, use what works for you. Now, I'm not going to have time in this particular episode to deep dive into every single category as each one is probably an episode in itself. But what I am going to do is give you a short description of each of the categories that I've mentioned that I use so that you can then go out and explore them on your own. And, you know, then it will just lead into exploring these the other subcategories as well. And in future episodes, I will probably do a deep dive into the main categories as well and talk about a lot more fragrances that fit into them. Now, I do cover this. We have like a whole module in the Artisan Perfumery Mastermind. We have a whole module on fragrance families. So again, I'm just going to touch on it here and then you can choose to go further if you want to. Okay, so let's start with the citrus family. So the citrus family is really self-explanatory. This includes the classic eau de cologne type fragrances. So you will have a lot of the citrusy material. So obviously you're going to have things like lemon, bergamot, orange, grapefruit, all of these zingy, sometimes called hesperidic accords. They're very fresh. They're very clean. They won't last anywhere near as long as some of the other families. So keep that in mind if you're creating citrus fragrances. They are really designed for that zingy freshness. They will be tending to be blended with more um, sort of soft, musky notes in the base to help them last a little bit longer. And also you'll find herbal notes in there too. Sometimes you might find spicy notes in with the citruses. The other thing with citrus notes is that as a family, as a fragrance classification family, you will see it pop up in a lot of the other categories as well, such as the ambers, the chypres, the fougeres. So I will talk about that as we go through. Okay, so citrus is quite self-explanatory, but just keep in mind that you will also have other materials in there. So herbal materials such as rosemary, thyme. You'll also have maybe some resins. You might even find some incensey notes in citrus too. Okay, so the floral family the floral family can be split up into soliflor, floral bouquets, aldehydic florals, white florals, spicy florals, fruity florals and aquatic florals. So let's just touch on each of those briefly. So a soliflor is a single floral. So that is where you have a fragrance that might be just a rose perfume or a jasmine perfume. So a single floral note that is is singled out, if you like. A floral bouquet is where you have a blend of different flowers and no one flower is singled out. So it could be, you know, walking through a flower garden or through a tropical, you know, rainforest with like all of these heady flowers in bloom. So it's lots and lots of different fragrances of different flowers blended together. Aldehydic florals, they're a particular category. Again, that's probably something that we will go into a bit more depth in, in the floral episode when I do that one. Aldehydic florals, Chanel number no. five is your classic aldehydic floral. So go have a smell that of that. And also have a smell of white linen by Estee Lauder as well, because those are very different fragrances, but they are both really good examples of an aldehydic floral. 
This is where you have a group of materials called aldehydes paired with floral notes and often with soft musky notes in the base as well. White florals, really these are things like tuberose, they're ylang-ylang, they're lily, so they're really heady. Um, think of like 80s big florals, so things like um, Giorgio Beverly Hills, if anyone's old enough to remember that. They're really quite heady. Tuberose is a really common one now for fragrances that are have got a bit more body, so they're still a floral, but they're not these sort of delicate a flower garden, English flower garden. They're they're much more tropical. They're more kind of creamy, maybe fruity as well. Your spicy florals. So often floral notes are paired with things like pink pepper. So next we have the fruity florals. These tend to be younger types of fragrance. And this is where you have a floral accord paired with things like peach and raspberry, maybe berry notes, maybe pineapple, apple, mango, that kind of thing. And then we have our aquatic florals. So I'm going to talk about marine fragrances in, in a moment, but sometimes you can have, I suppose, two different types of, of marine-ish fragrance. So you've got your marine fragrances that smell a bit like the seaside ozonic that I'll talk about in a moment, but you've also got what we would call an aquatic floral. So this is where you imagine you are walking through a flower garden and you have rain um, droplets on flower petals. So you have this watery aspect, this aquatic aspect, but it is more like rainfall on petals rather than a seaside ozon ozonic note, if that makes sense. Okay, next up, we have the fougere fragrances. Now, the fougere and the chypre family are two of the families that most people find a little bit confusing when they start. So the Fougère fragrance family is based on a fragrance called Fougère Royale. And that came out in the late 1800s by a company called Hubigon. And it was based around a pairing of materials. So lavender and coumarin, which created this fantasy fern accord. Now, up until that point in time, a lot of fragrances were based around just things that were found in nature. So flowers, for example, they were animalic notes, maybe resins. And we, we really didn't have what we would now call fantasy accords. So a fantasy accord is where something is not present in nature. Maybe it's more abstract. It doesn't have a smell. And we are putting a creative um, interpretation on it. So that is really what happened with, with Fougere Royale, Royal Fern. And Again, I will dig into that a little bit more deeply in a future episode. But really, the Fougère fragrance is based around the relationship between lavender notes and coumarin. So coumarin is something that's naturally present in tonka beans, but it was synthesized in the late 1800s. It was synthesized. It was one of the first aroma chemicals, I suppose, to be used. And it really opened up the perfumer's palette. So a Fougère fragrance really is based on that relationship. You will also have materials like oak moss in there. Fougère fragrances tend to be marketed more towards the more masculine side of things and they would be fresher and cleaner. You might also see them being paired with aquatic and marine notes too. You tend to have herbal notes in there. You will have maybe citrus notes on the top. So citrusy fougères that make them fresh. So if you go back and look at some of the 
other ways of classifying fragrances. The fresh family will tend to go into this sort of fougere accord. So let's talk about marine fragrances for a moment. So marine notes tend to be paired with fougeres as well. So thinking about Cool Water by Davidoff, that is a classic fougere masculine aquatic fragrance. So this is where we look at ozonic notes, seaside notes, the um, the feeling of diving into the sea or fresh water as opposed to an aquatic floral. So if you look at those two together, um, you will see that very, very strong differences. The aquatic floral tends to be more transparent and airy and watery. And the aquatic marine tends to be a little bit more aromatic, a bit more on the fougere side with these um, real kind of like seaside ozonic notes. So you often find in, say, the um, brand Isimiyaki. So you've got Isi Odyssey for her and Odyssey, uh, and Isimiyaki for men. You will see that one is more than the, the, the one that is marketed to women is more of an aquatic floral. And the one that is marketed to men is more of a kind of fougere marine aquatic. And so sometimes that is how they are differentiated. Okay, moving on. Shepra. Now, again, Shepra is one of those fragrance families that was created out of a fragrance as well. So Fougère came from Fougère Royale and Shepra came from Le Shepra by Coty, a fragrance by Coty. And um, Monsieur Coty, perfumer, um, created a fragrance called Le Shepra based around the materials found on the island of Cyprus. So Chypre is um, French for Cyprus. So all of the materials that go into a Chypre are things that are found on the island of Cyprus. So they were um, bergamot, moss, benzoin, patchouli. So the Chypre fragrance family is really based on this relationship between bergamot and oak moss. And also you've got things like vetiver, you've got labdanum in there, you've got patchouli. As we've gone through the years and the decades of these fragrances being around, they have been reformulated due to regulatory changes. So many of you listening will know that oak moss has now been quite regulated. You can't use very much oak. You can still use oak moss, but it has to be a specific type of oak moss and you can't use a lot of it. And so other materials come in to take their place. So you often find with the Shepra family now, more of a reliance is on, placed on patchouli. So the oak moss is still there, but it's maybe lower in the mix. You've still got that fresh citrusy top in a lot of cases with the bergamot, um, but you might have a lot more fruity notes and you will have probably a lot more patchouli. So Shepras can be green. Um, they can be floral. You can have a floral Shepra. Um, you can have amber notes paired with Shepra as well. And then there was a bit of a trend um, in the sort of 2000s of really, really pairing these patchouli notes with fruity notes. And one of the um, fragrance bloggers, and I can't remember who it was now, um, paired the two together and called called it a fruchuli. And so it was almost like this other little fragrance family that arose out of the Shepras as a fruchuli. So what are good examples of Shepras? So Mitsuko by Guerlain is a great example of a Shepra. It's not one of those fragrance families that has ever been particularly trendy or cool. It's a bit more elegant, I would say. 
Charlie by Revlon is like an old school sheepra. So they tend to be quite green, mossy, foresty. Um, I really like the sheepra family. It's one of my favorites. And actually, for those of you who are listening who are natural perfume makers, you can make really, you know, you can make sheepras with natural materials. Fougeres are really easy to make with natural materials. Again, citruses are one of the hardest to create with just naturals on their own are the floral family. But again, we'll dig into that in another episode. Okay, so the final family, I'm going to do a little touch on woody and leather notes. So woody fragrances, again, tend to be mostly, you know, does what it says on the tin, woody accords. But I tend to find that woody notes really fit either more into the amber or the sheepra, really. You can obviously have woody notes in florals. They tend to be softwoods. You can have woody notes in fougere fragrances as well, but they tend to sort of fit into these foresty, sheepra, green accords, or they fit into the more soft, ambery notes. Leather fragrances. Yes, of course, you can have leather fragrances that that is the main accord. But again, they tend to sort of be paired with other things. So they tend to fit into the ambery notes or the sheepras as well. So finally, we come on to the amber category, which is probably my favorite. And I would split those into the following subcategories. So the ambrine, uh, melis, floral, woody and gourmand. Now, um, the amber fragrance category is something that I will talk a bit more in depth in a future episode. It is the category that is formerly known as Oriental. So with the aim of fostering inclusivity and cultural sensitivity, the fragrance industry made the decision to rename the Oriental fragrance category as amber. Now, not every company has followed suit and, and made that change. So you will still see the oriental terminology online um, with some fragrance houses sort of digging their heels in and not wanting to change. But for the most part, um, this shift has been embraced by industry leaders. So, for example, Fragrances of the World, uh, Michael Edwards changed his oriental category to amber. You know, we all everybody was looking at which what name fit best um, to change it to. And amber really was the obvious choice. And it was seen as a really necessary step towards promoting a much more inclusive um, and global fragrance industry. So the new terminology amber, most people feel better reflects the real evolving nature of the fragrance industry and its commitment to respecting and acknowledging the diverse cultural heritage that contributes to it. And actually, the term oriental really didn't explain the category very well at all. And just because something has always been used, it doesn't mean that we should always continue to use it regardless of what other people think. So I have chosen to um, use the word amber. So the Perfume Society used the word ombre. And actually, I, I that makes a lot of sense because sometimes like the it can become a, a lot more um, confusing because amber is actually an accord, but also it is has now become a fragrance family. So I just want to explain that a little bit more to you so that you can sort of pick it apart a lot easier. So the amber 
Accord is a blend of labdanum and vanilla. And so that really would be at the heart of any amber fragrance. So we've got the amber Accord. You've also got the amber material. So amber as in ambergris, which is from the, the sperm whale. We've also got amber resin. Again, so we need to be able to differentiate in between what is a material, an accord and a fragrance family. So again, it's not perfect. It's work in progress. And I'm sure there will be different and much better explanations of this category going forward. But for now, we are referring to it as the amber category. So here's how I split it up. So the amber category for me falls into two main um, subcategories, the ambrine and the mellis. And I'll explain those. So they are based on accords that are form the heart of particular types of perfume. So the ambrine accord really is based on a vanilla, an accord between vanilla and citrus notes, so bergamot, and also some animalic undertones as well. So think about perfumes like Shalimar. So Shalimar is a really good example of this. You've got the, the fresh citrusy top. You've got not uh, hardly any floral, really, any floral notes, maybe a little bit of rose at the heart, but not much. And then you've got these vanilla notes and you've got these animalic notes as well. So they're quite powdery. The Melis Accord is really based around a group of materials that form this kind of carnation-y note. So you have got materials such as um, hydroxycitronellol, benzoyl salicylate, and eugenol, which is a clovey note, that form this kind of carnation. So really these kind of amber melis type fragrances are things like opium. They're, they're what would be called your spicy ambers in a lot of the fragrance families. So really you've got your kind of powdery, uh, vanillary animalic ambers, which I would call your ambrine ambers, and then your melis ambers, which are your spicy ambers. So with materials such as clove, maybe there's cardamom in there, maybe there's cinnamon in there. So these real kind of like spice market kind of Moroccan feeling, you know, opium by Yves Saint Laurent, lots and lots of spicy notes in there. You've also got your floral ambers, and these are the fragrances that would have been called floriental in the past, but we now would call them a floral amber. And it's where you have the amber accords really blended with big heady floral notes. Um, you've also got woody ambers as well. So this is where notes like sandalwood and maybe the oud notes play a much bigger part. And then the gourmand ambers really are where the amber fragrance family kind of branches out into more kind of foodie territory. So Angel is a good example of this by Thierry Mugler, where you've got these sort of amber notes. You've maybe got some freshness in the top, but you've got these really um, sticky, um, maybe candy floss, vanilla, caramel, all of these foodie notes. And this was a big trend back in the 90s. And it really kind of started, I guess, with Angel. Um, but again, it it's, I suppose, you know, it, it's, stood the test of time. And we do see a lot of these sort of sticky candy flossy notes. There are uh, more savoury gourmand notes coming in, so salty notes as well. But for the most part, I would probably put the gourmands in with the amber family. But again, there are going to be people that disagree with me on that and, um, and see it as a standalone category. 
So again, you can see how complex it can be. So I would encourage you to dig into some of the charts. I would encourage you to smell some of the fragrances as well. So now that we've explored the main families, really it's important to understand how to differentiate between them and recognize some of their key characteristics. So we've talked about the scent notes, but let's just dig in a little bit more to finish up. And so whilst each fragrance family has got unique characteristics, some scents may overlap between families. So as I said before, a fragrance could be both floral and amber. So it would be this floral amber combination. And if it contains a blend of floral notes and rich spices, this is, this is an indication that it would probably be a floral amber. And learning to identify the dominant characteristics of these families are really going to help you pinpoint the primary fragrance family that it belongs in. Let's also talk about intensity and longevity. So another factor to consider when classifying fragrances is their intensity and longevity. Like some families, like the amber notes, the woody fragrances, tend to be more potent and have a much longer lasting presence on the skin. And others, such as the fresh fragrance family and the citrus fragrances, maybe the light airy florals, are much more transient and they would not last anywhere near as long as the ambers. Ultimately, your own personal preference is going to play a crucial role in classifying fragrances too. What might be a standout floral fragrance for one person might evoke indifference in someone else. So just keep that in mind. Exploring a variety of different scents from different families is really going to help determine which ones resonate with you the most. And this is specifically for you if you are listening as a fragrance buyer. So Hopefully by now you should have a good grasp of the various fragrance families and their characteristics. And knowing the difference between these families is going to allow you to express your personal style and emotions through scent if you're, if you're a scent buyer. And it's going to allow you to express your scent story as well. So if you go back to um, previous episodes of the podcast when we're talking about scent stories, one of the easiest places to start when you're looking at developing your scent story is to say, is to ask yourself, what, what fragrance family do I see this scent story fitting into? And that's another way that you can use it. And again, learning to identify different fragrance families is something that requires practice and patience. So the, ultimately, you have to really get out there and start smelling everything. Keep notes of your favorite fragrances and the families that they belong to. And this is going to help you develop a deeper understanding of fragrance classification. And ultimately, it's all about enjoyment and really discovering new scents as well. And um, it might seem like a, a little bit of a niche concept and only for people who are creating fragrance. But there are going to be a lot of advantages to learning and understanding this as a fragrance buyer too. So it's really going to help you simplify your options when you're exploring new scents. So instead of aimlessly sniffing countless perfumes, you can really just focus on the families that align with your preferences. And when buying fragrances for other people, it's going to really help you to make an informed choice on a gift for someone you know, you'll be able to be more confident in choosing a fragrance that suits that person's style. And for those of you who are creating fragrances, this is going to help you effectively communicate um, with your customers as well. And 
In conclusion, really just understanding fragrance families and how to classify them is really essential for anyone with any interest in perfume. By familiarizing yourself with the main families and recognizing their characteristics, exploring scents from each family, you're going to really enhance your perfume experience. So hopefully this has been helpful for you and hasn't um, made it a lot more complex. Again, you don't have to go into all of the subcategories. Keep it really, really simple and start with the main ones, citrus, floral, chypre, fougere and amber. If you haven't got a copy of my book, I'll link that in the show notes as well. And that will give you a little bit of a, um, a reference guide. And as always, thank you so much for listening and I will speak to you next time. Mm-hmm.